Chapter 15 Severus turned onto his side and opened his eyes. They felt scratchy and bruised. He had no doubt that if he were to look into a mirror that they would be bloodshot. He shuddered, despite the warm blanket that covered him. He'd had one of his more graphic nightmares and could smell the acrid scent of his own fear and sweat clinging to him. There would be no more sleep this night. Throwing back the covers, he turned and sat on the edge of bed. Rubbing at his temples, he wondered if he had any of his headache potion left. Not that the last dose had done any good. The headache he'd laid down with still pounded a dull rhythm behind his eyes. The window against the far wall showed only the deepest black beyond its dirty panes. He glanced at the old-fashioned wind-up alarm clock sitting on the bedside table. Its battered tin face showed 2.14 in the morning. It would seem that his sleeping patterns had returned to normal with a vengeance. Those last days in the castle, when sleep had come quickly, had made him decidedly uneasy. Now, after two days in his own home, normality had returned, and whatever potion or spell Albus had afflicted him with had worn off. It was almost comforting, in a way. He was not quite ready for his death, and those nights of dreamless, peaceful sleep had put him too much in the mind of the grave. Getting to his feet, he padded across the threadbare carpet of his room, stripping off his nightshirt as he went. Dropping it haphazardly onto the wooden floor, he stepped naked into the bathroom. First, he needed a shower to wash the stink of the nightmare away. Then, maybe, he would work on the salve sent to him by Healer Eddington. He sighed as he remembered what else he had to do today. It was no wonder he'd had that particular nightmare. With summer here, and Hogwarts closed, Severus was no longer under the supposed watchful eye of the headmaster. The Dark Lord would expect more of his time and participation. It was time to step back down into the murkier depths of wizarding society. Hermione flipped over onto her stomach and buried her hands beneath the pillow, bumping her fingers against her wand. Straightening her legs, she stretched her toes down towards the end of her bed and let out a wide yawn. Her first week back from Hogwarts had been spent making the rounds of her relatives, telling highly edited stories of her school year, and having lions every morning. It was her own secret luxury that she rarely got to indulge in while at school. Cracking open one eye, she peered at the glowing red numbers on her alarm clock. Half past nine in the morning. Oh yeah, having a lion was a wonderful thing. Letting out a contented sigh, she spared a thought for Professor Snape and hoped that he too was having a good lion on his new sheets. Hmm, maybe another thirty minutes, then I'll get up. Closing her eyes, she was just starting to doze back off when a terrified scream came from downstairs. Hermione bolted upright, visions of dementors and death eaters attacking the house filling her mind with fear. Grabbing up her wand, Hermione tore through her room. Running down the stairs, she barreled through the living room and into the kitchen, wand drawn and a hex formed on her lips. Expecting to be confronted with Voldemort's followers in a fight for her life, Hermione froze at the scene in front of her. Paulina Granger, all five foot five of her, was standing defiant and ready for battle, her back against the stove. Her upraised hand held a cast iron skillet, primed and ready to be swung. Her mother's target was... 
Rink? Rink didn't move from where he crouched on the floor. Both arms curled protectively over his bald head. If anything, he seemed to curl even further into himself when Hermione called his name. Hermione, what's going on? Paulina snapped, her eyes never leaving the creature in the middle of her kitchen. What is that thing? Uh-oh. Trying to catch her breath and calm her frantically beating heart, Hermione let out a shuddering exhale. Visions of Death Eaters and Voldemort slowly faded from her mind. The underlying fear remained, though, as she just had a taste of how vulnerable her parents were to attack. Gathering her somewhat scattered wits around her, Hermione focused back on the issue at hand. Mom, you could put down the pan now. At her daughter's words, Paulina lowered the skillet slightly. She did not, however, set it back down on the stove. Hermione still couldn't believe Rink was in her kitchen. What was the elf doing here? Glancing at her mum, who was still holding onto the skillet, Hermione went over to Rink. As she sank to her knees, Rink prostrated himself on the floor, his rather long nose touching the glazed tiles. Rink is sorry. Rink will punish himself most severely. Rink only wanted to find Hermie. Rink did not mean to frighten. If Rink wasn't so absolutely pitiful looking, Hermione might have been tempted to a laugh at the absurdity of the whole situation. Running her hand along Rink's shaking back, she tried to calm him down. Rink, there will be no punishing. You're fine. My mom's fine. We just weren't expecting you. Rink, however, was ignoring all attempts at consolation, and shaking his head had turned into great, seething, heaving sobs of distress. Unsure of what to do at this point, Hermione turned to her mother. Mom, you remember me telling you about the house elves and SPEW? At her mother's nod of confirmation, Hermione said, This is Rink. He's a house elf and a friend of mine. At Hermione's use of the word friend, Rink's sobs changed pitch. Between every other sniffling sob, Hermione could hear him muttering, Friend? Young Miss calls Rink friend. What does Rink do? Rink frightens young Miss Line Matriarch. Rink is a bad elf. Seeing that the once frightening creature was now a puddle of misery in the middle of her kitchen floor, Paulina finally put down the skillet and took a step closer. That's an elf? she asked, her tone dubious. Not at all what I had pictured when I read Lord of the Rings all those years ago. Hermione quirked a small smile. She had gotten her love of books and reading from her mother, but where Hermione preferred nonfiction, her mother enjoyed just the opposite. In fact, Paulina Granger, with countless fiction and fantasy books under her belt, had understood the implications of Hermione being a witch long before Hermione had. House elf, mum, and if I'm interpreting the wails and muttering correctly, he's rather upset that he scared you. At this point, Rink warbled, Rink is a bad elf in such a pitiful, tear-choked voice that both Paulina and Hermione winced. That was all it took, though, for the practicality of motherhood to kick in. Hermione had, after all, inherited her bossiness from her mother as well. Paulina clapped her hands loudly. Enough! Hermione, Rink, both of you, up off the floor! Hermione scrambled to her feet and was somewhat startled to see Rink climb to his feet as well. Paulina took one look at her daughter, and planted her hands firmly on her hips. Hermione Granger, you are running around the house in your night clothes. Get upstairs, get dressed, and then get back down here. 
Hermione, heading for the door, heard her mother continue. Now, Rink, is it? I don't know how you run things at that magic school, but this is my kitchen. There will be no punishments and no more hysterics. Hermione missed whatever Rink said in return as she raced back upstairs to her room. After a speedy change of clothes, Hermione came back down to the kitchen to find a completely unexpected sight. Rink was sitting in one of the kitchen chairs, his bare feet swinging a good five inches above the floor. In front of him were a glass of orange juice and a plate of jam-smeared toast. Rink had a confused and somewhat startled look on his face, but was dutifully eating the breakfast before him. Her mother, meanwhile, was drinking in Rink's form like she was taking mental pictures. As Hermione caught her mother's eyes, Paulina grinned. An elf in my kitchen. Hermione shook her head in bemusement. Other muggle mothers, she was sure, would be screaming about now. Hers was delighted. Mom, do you mind if I talk to Rink? Maybe find out why he's here? Wiping her hands with a dish rag, Paulina nodded. With a last glance at Rink, Paulina left to head into the living room. Pulling out a chair from the table, Hermione sat beside Rink, setting her wand on the table in front of them. Not exactly sure where to start in asking her questions, Hermione decided on the easiest conversation first. Rink, you don't have to eat the breakfast if you don't want to. Rink looked at her with eyes even wider than normal. Rink must eat. House Matriarch made Rink food and said to eat. She is not Rink's house line, but Rink will not disobey. Hermione pondered at that a moment, and then decided that it wasn't an easy conversation. House Matriarch? House line? Definitely questions for another time and place. Time to try the other conversation. Why are you here? Rink pulled his knees up onto the chair so he was curled into a small ball. His voice was small and full of misery when he answered Hermione's questions. The master left Hogwarts. No students. No teachers. Rink begged the master to take Rink. At Rink's downcast demeanor, Hermione guessed the professor's answer. Professor Snape told you to stay at Hogwarts. Rink nodded. Said Rink belonged at Hogwarts. Master would not listen when Rink said Rink belongs with Master of Potions. The elf seemed to hunch even further down unto himself. Master has no house elves, no elves to care or cook for him. Rink's voice dropped into a scandalized whisper. Master has no elves to clean for him. Hermione realized exactly what that meant. Without you there to change the bed linens, he won't have access to the sheets. He'll fall back into his insomnia. Hermione strangled the urge to curse. Master thinks the schoolmaster made him sleep. Hermione frowned slightly in confusion before deciphering the sometimes tangled titles that the elves seemed so fond of. Schoolmaster? Oh, you mean Headmaster Dumbledore? Rink nodded again. That surprised Hermione. She'd asked Rink after her first potions class if Professor Snape had slept well. But after that, between studying and exams, she'd let the topic slip. She should have known better. Nothing was ever easy with Severus Snape. You mean that Professor Snape thinks the headmaster did something? As the elf hesitated, Hermione prodded him a little. Come on, Rink, we're in this together. Hermie does not plan on letting anything bad hurt Professor Snape. Her reassurances did the trick. 
Master slept well the first night, but thought schoolmaster had magicked him. Let me guess, Professor Snape became suspicious. Hermione stood abruptly and started pacing across the small kitchen, her teeth worrying her bottom lip. Then she groaned. Bloody hell, I should have thought of that. Of course he becomes suspicious if all of a sudden he started sleeping well. So what did he do then? Master worked more and walked the castle halls. Master did not go to his bed. Hermione continued her pacing as she thought out loud. Okay, that makes sense. He's suspicious of sleeping, so he avoids lying down. Even when the man is not trying to be difficult, he's difficult. Plopping back down into her chair, Hermione rested her forehead against the tabletop. Professor Snape hasn't even really agreed to teach me yet, and I'm already tired of thinking. Rink, in shared misery, thumped his forehead down against the tabletop as well. Wake up, Hermione. Hermione opened sleep-blurred eyes to see her mom and dad standing in her room at the foot of the bed. Her father was looking bemused while her mother looked. Actually, Hermione had no idea how to explain the look on her mother's face. From the washed-out light just starting to seep in under her blinds, she guessed it was still very early in the morning. Her sluggish brain took a few seconds longer to put together the clues, but eventually it recognized that her parents were both dressed to leave for work. Identical white lab coats, clean and crisp. The question was, why were they still here and waking her up? What's the matter? she asked, around a jaw-popping yawn. I think you'd better come with us, dear. Something in her mum's voice vanished the remains of sleep. Hermione got out of bed, her parents' strange behavior prompting her to grab her wand. Following them down the short hallway that led to the stairs, Hermione started cautiously down. Halfway down, as the main living area came into view, Hermione stopped in confusion. The living room had been transformed, or more accurately, it had been cleaned. It wasn't that Paulina Granger was a messy housekeeper, but she was a very professional working woman. After a long day at the office, neither of the doctors Granger was much interested in cleaning. So the house had always been neat, if somewhat cluttered and lived in. Now it was spotless. Every surface was dusted, the books in the floor-to-ceiling cases flanking the fireplace were neatly arranged. The wood floors gleamed in the pale early morning light coming through the windows, and Hermione could spell the lemon oil polish that had been used on them. Taking a few more steps down, Hermione stopped at the first floor landing. She glanced over her shoulder to her mom and dad. Paulina still had that strange expression on her face. The kitchen is the same way, she said. When I went down this morning to fix breakfast for your father and me before heading out to work, I found a fresh pot of coffee, fruit, cereal, and what looks to be homemade bread laid out on the table. Her mum fidgeted a bit with the edge of her lab coat before asking, Did you do this? Hermione sighed. No, it wasn't me. But I have a good idea of who did it. Going down the rest of the stairs, Hermione went into the middle of the room. She wasn't even sure this would work for her, but she had a sneaky suspicion that someone was waiting for her to call. She raised her voice and said firmly, Rink! 
A few seconds later, a grinning house elf appeared before her. There was no missing the pleased look on his face. Hermione heard her father, who had not met Rink the previous day, gasp in surprise. She was rather pleased that except for the one startled intake of breath, her parents were taking Rink's sudden appearance in stride. Ha! A small part of her crowed in triumph. Take that, all you pure-blooded wizard snobs who don't think muggles can understand or accept magic. Dropping down heavily onto the couch, Hermione tried to ignore the fact that she was still in her pajamas. She had no doubt her hair was sticking up all over her head. It was way too early to be having this conversation. Rink, did you clean the house? Rink bobbed on his toes in obvious delight. Rink was very happy to help family of young Miss. Rink executed a short bow in the direction of Hermione's parents, who were still standing on the landing. Rink was very bad to scare mother of Miss. Rink's ears wilted a bit as he added mournfully. Rink has no one to serve at the castle. And really, what could Hermione say to that? And so the next three weeks of summer went, with almost daily visits from Rink, who'd taken to coming in early and cleaning the Granger's house before everyone else was up. After some initial protests from Paulina and Hermione's explanation that it made Rink happy since he couldn't take care of Professor Snape, the doctor's Granger quickly settled into the luxury of having a freshly made breakfast and hot coffee waiting for them before they left for the office, and the ability to come home to a sparkling clean house. Hermione tried not to feel guilty about SPEW. Soon enough, the midpoint of her summer break was reached. The summer, as in years past, Hermione was going to spend the rest of the time with her friends at Grimald Place. In preparation, Hermione and Rink had several discussions about how he could not follow her. In fact, Hermione wasn't sure that Rink could follow her to Grimald, since the black house was still hidden by a Fidelis charm. She didn't want to take the chance, though. House elf ma magic seemed to be somewhat of an unknown, but still very powerful force. When Dobby had been freed from the Malfoys, Harry had said that Lucius Malfoy had almost been afraid of Dobby. So Hermione found herself packed up with Crookshanks and his carrier and her trunk at her feet while she waited for the night bus to take her to the burrow, where she'd meet up with Ron and Harry before they all relocated to the Black House. She wondered, as she waited, if she'd see Professor Snape at Grimald Place, and if he'd have an answer for her. The appearance of Professor McGonagall at the door of number 12 Grimmauld Place that afternoon caused a bit of a stir. For all that the Black House was Order Headquarters, there were surprisingly few guests. The inner circle of the Order only met when the occasion merited it, the thought being that the less contact between key Order members, the less likely Voldemort's spies would be able to gather information on Order members and activities. McGonagall's presence lent an almost party air to the old house, since she was the first guest that had the current residents of the Black House had seen in over a week. News from outside was always welcome, especially since Harry, Hermione, Ginny, and Ron were pretty much confined to the house for their own safety, restrictions that Harry, in particular, chafed at. There was, after all, only so much one could do when confined indoors. Hermione was using the time to needle the others into finishing their summer coursework. Ginny had already finished hers, the two boys still had work to do. 
That the well-respected head of Gryffindor arrived with the much less well-respected head of Slytherin was the only damper on the whole affair. Although, truth be told, Hermione was rather happy to see him. Or it was the only damper, until Professor McGonagall pulled out three scrolls bound with multicolored ribbons. Since owls aren't allowed delivery to Grimald Place because of the Fidelis, I thought I would deliver your grades to you personally. McGonagall pinned each of them with a stern eye. Please be respectful of each other. Ron's audible gulp as he took the scroll offered to him made Hermione smile reassuringly at her friend when he cast a nervous glance back at her and Harry. Ron twisted the scroll between his hands as he made a motion with his head at the doorway. I'll, um, yeah, I'll just go upstairs. As Ron headed out the door, Hermione cast a quick glance at Professor Snape, who stood quietly in the far corner of the study. She knew Ron was worried about his potions grade. He needed a passing grade in Professor Snape's class in order to apply for aura training post-graduation. If he didn't make it, she knew he would be devastated. However, she could read nothing in Professor Snape's expression except impatience. McGonagall gave Harry his next with an encouraging smile. I'm very proud of you, Harry, she said quietly. Harry took his scroll and also headed for the door. Hermione knew he would probably head out to the overgrown gardens in the back of Grimmauld Place. It had become a quiet retreat of sorts for him. Then it was her turn. Hermione knew she'd done well, yet she could never quell that faint feeling of nervousness that always gripped her before the big reveal. This time, there was something in the way that Professor McGonagall was looking at her that ratcheted up her normal pre-score nervousness into true fear. A fear that sat cold and heavy in the pit of her stomach. Have I failed something? McGonagall was no longer smiling benignly as she handed Hermione her scroll. Instead, she wore the strict, no-nonsense mask that was usually only seen when she was forced to deduct points from her own house. If you feel the need to talk, Miss Granger, I will be here, along with Professor Snape, at Grimald for the rest of the day. With a small nod, Professor McGonagall left the study. Oh God, she'd failed something. The fear turned to lead in her stomach. I failed. She never failed. Yet, her head of house had just offered the opportunity to talk if she needed it. Oh God. Ignoring her dour potions master, who had taken out a book and was seated next to the one grimy window in the room, Hermione retreated across the room until she could sit down in the faded wing-back chair next to the cold hearth. She had no doubt that Professor Snape was watching her, even though his eyes were downcast to the book in his hand. She didn't know why he wasn't leaving like Professor McGonagall had, but she wasn't going to embarrass herself in front of him. If she had any hope of him agreeing to teach her, then she had to show that she could take bad news like an adult. With a trembling hand, she broke the Hogwarts seal and untied the colored ribbons representing each of the four houses. Taking a deep breath, she unfurled the parchment. As she did so, a gold velvet bag that had been miniaturized magically regrew to normal size and slid down into her lap. Ignoring the bag and its contents, 
Hermione focused instead on the overdone calligraphy printed on the vellum. Ancient runes. Outstanding. Arithmancy. Outstanding. Astronomy. Outstanding. Care of magical creatures. Outstanding. Charms. Outstanding. Defense against the dark arts. Exceeds expectations. Herbology. Outstanding. History of magic. Outstanding. Potions. Outstanding. Transfiguration. Outstanding. Running her eyes over the list again, she frowned in confusion. She'd passed. She'd passed everything. Well, she could have done a bit better in defense. She didn't understand. Thinking there was some mistake, Hermione started to flip to the second page of the scroll. When she was startled by a great yodeling yell that sounded suspiciously like Ron. The sudden pounding of footsteps overhead and the down the stairs confirmed it was Ron. Two seconds later, Mrs. Black, awakened by his yell, started her screeching. Between Ron and the portrait, it sounded as if the house were full of banshees. Hermione glanced over to Professor Snape. The scowl and contemptuous curl of his upper lip did not reassure her. However, her professor did not seem troubled. He'd not even drawn his wand. Unsure if she should be concerned with the yelling or not, Hermione tucked her scroll and the velvet bag into the side of the chair and headed for the door. Before she got there, the door flew open, and Ron ran into the room, picked her up in his arms, and twirled her around, grinning like a madman. I did it! I did it! It's mine! By this time, the other residents of Grimald, made up almost exclusively of the Weasleys, had gathered in the study doorway, drawn by Ron's gleeful shouts and the screeching of Mrs. Black's portrait. Mrs. Weasley saved Hermione from her spinning. Ronald Weasley, put Hermione down this instant and stop that yelling. What is the meaning of this? You've disturbed the whole house. We'll be listening to Mrs. Black. Ron, grinning unrepentantly from ear to ear, held up the gold badge clasped in his hand. The sight of the head boy badge stopped Mrs. Weasley in her tracks. Eyes wide, Molly reached out to take the medal. Head boy? You've made head boy? Oh, Ron! Molly proceeded to pull Ron into a rib-cracking embrace. In that moment, Hermione felt cold realization wash down over her. She knew why McGonagall had offered to talk with her. Retreating from the back-slapping and congratulatory crowd of redheads, she quietly returned to her chair and picked up the velvet pouch. Pulling the drawstring open, she tipped the badge out into her palm. There in her palm, incised in the cold metal, was the word prefect, not head girl. Closing her eyes, she gave into the disappointment for a moment, but only for a moment. Feeling eyes on her, she looked around and found Professor Snape watching her with interest. A year ago, she would have expected to see malicious glee on his face. A year ago, she might have interpreted the expression he now wore just that way. Now, she interpreted that keen regard as evaluating. Determined to show him that she was an adult, she graced him with a small smile while tucking the badge into her pocket. His answering nod sent a warm feeling of pride through her. Gaining his respect had become very important to her. Schooling her features into something she hoped resembled best wishes, she went to rejoin the rejoicing Ron. Someone had closed the door, drowning out Mrs. Black, who continued to scream in shrill tones. 
The occasional blood traitor and mud-blood filth could be heard faintly through the door, but no one was paying her any mind. As soon as Hermione rejoined the group, Ron had her around the waist again. This time, she only made one spin before he put her down again. Hermione, isn't this great? You and me, head boy and head girl. It'll be a great seventh year. Smiling at her friend's exuberance, Hermione made sure none of her own disappointment sounded in her voice. After all, Ron and Harry had been making jokes about her getting the head girl's badge ever since first year. I didn't get head girl, Ron. At Ron's suddenly shocked expression, as well as the quiet that descended on the rest of the group, Hermione faltered a bit. Old habits came to her rescue as she added, Besides, if you'd actually read the copy of Hogwarts A History I got you for your birthday, you'd know that the school policies were changed some years ago, so that the head boy and head girl are always from different houses. It was considered to be more fair and equal that way. Ron was staring at Hermione in shock, and she could feel the eyes of the others in the room on her as well. It was an uncomfortable feeling, and she fought to keep her composure against the disappointment that sat like heavy lead in her stomach. In one uncharitable moment, she wished that Ron would just let the subject drop. She wasn't to get her wish, though, as Ron sputtered in outrage on her behalf. But, but then who did get the head girl badge? The question wasn't really directed towards any one person. But Snape answered, his deep voice cutting across the excited babble on the other side of the room. Hannah Abbott. Silence met his words, until Harry, pushing his way through the crowd of Weasleys, hissed, You bastard! Only Hermione's quick grab to Ron's wrist stopped him from going to Harry's side. Not sure how to defuse the situation, Hermione could only watch as Harry advanced on Snape. You voted against Hermione, just because she's my friend. Snape crossed his arms across his chest, his perceived indifference to Harry's accusation fueling the anger that was starting to fill the room. Hermione wondered, in that moment, if she was the only one to see Snape palm his wand with that seemingly nonchalant move. The professor flicked a condescending gaze over Harry from the tips of his grubby, too large trainers up to his unruly hair. The cold, thin smile that graced his lips was filled with such scorn that Professor Snape couldn't have ignited Harry's temper more, even if he'd spit at him. He sneered, disdain dripping from every word. Not everything in the wizarding world revolves around you, Potter, although I'm sure you find that hard to believe. In any event, you are only partially correct, though I did vote against Miss Granger receiving the head girl's badge. With an inarticulate snarl of fury, Harry drew his wand and pointed it at Snape's chest. The sight of the drawn wand roused Hermione from her stunned surprise at how quickly the situation had gone tits up. Harry, no! Hermione yelled. Harry, eyes glazed and hands starting to tremble with his barely controlled rage, didn't hear her. His focus was solely on Professor Snape. Everyone in the room held their breaths, unsure of moving or saying anything, would set off the conflagration that was building in front of them. Snape had the audacity to chuckle. It was, Hermione noted, a deep sound. If the devil laughed, he'd sound like that. It made the hair on the back of her neck stand at attention. Professor Snape took a step forward until his chest just touched the tip of Harry's wand. 
When he spoke, his voice had dropped down to almost a whisper, soft and silky. Go ahead, Mr. Potter. Cast your curse. What will it be, hmm? The entrail-expelling curse? Or perhaps Crucio? Or maybe you want to jump straight to Avada Kedavra? Snape smiled, crooked teeth bared in a shark-like grin. Go on, cast it. I'm unarmed. I won't stop you. I'll even help you sound it out. Ava. Uh, At that point, Minerva McGonagall came back into the room. Harry Potter, she snapped, taking in the scene in a rush. Withdraw your wand this instant. For an eternal second, Harry did nothing. Finally, he took a shuddering breath. When he spoke, his voice had a strangled quality to it. He... McGonagall cut him off sharply. I don't care what Professor Snape may have said or done. You are the one pointing a wand at an unarmed man. You are also an underaged wizard. If you cast a spell now, Professor Dumbledore will have no recourse but to expel you from Hogwarts. Lower your wand now. Harry reluctantly lowered his wand, though murder still shone brightly in his eyes as he glared at Snape. Molly took that moment to step forward, forced good cheer attempting to defuse the situation. Briskly and efficiently, she shooed her family out of the study, quizzing Ron and Harry about what dishes they wanted for the celebratory feast that would soon be spread out across the battered kitchen table. Only Hermione and Professors McGonagall and Snape remained in the room. Professor McGonagall was glaring at Professor Snape, her lips pinched tightly together. Snape, meanwhile, had settled back down again into his chair and seemed unperturbed by the whole affair. Hermione didn't understand how he could be so placé about it. She was still shaking, and she hadn't been the one with a wand pointed at her chest. Her emotions were in a whirl. Disappointment at not getting head girl. Anger at Harry. Anger at Snape. Terror at what Harry had almost done. And a very real fear that in those few tense moments that Harry was going to kill Professor Snape. Severus Snape, what did you do? McGonagall hissed very reminiscent of her feline animagus form. Professor Snape shrugged one shoulder and leaned back further in the chair. Potter's sidekick asked who received the head girl badge. I answered. I also informed him that I voted against Miss Granger receiving the position. McGonagall's eyes narrowed down to slits. What else did you say? She ground out. Harry would not have pulled his wand out on you just for that. Unfortunately, for him and the wizarding world at large, he did precisely that. Snape spat in return, his own expression of bored indifference finally cracking. Hermione wondered if her teachers even realized that she was still in the room. She was feeling distinctly uncomfortable. This was not an argument that she should be privy to. Yet, her own sense of fair play wouldn't let her stay silent. She had the uncomfortable realization that Professor Snape had been accused of being at fault too many times, with no one to stand for him. This, now, was everything that she'd wanted to accomplish with S-N-O-R-T. Taking a step towards the two arguing teachers, Hermione said, just loud enough to cut across their yelling, It's the truth, Professor McGonagall. The professor whirled around, the hem of her robe swirling around her feet at her sudden movement. Miss Granger? 
The surprise in McGonagall's voice confirmed Hermione's suspicion that her transfiguration professor had forgotten her presence in the room. However, it wasn't the surprise in McGonagall's voice that caught Hermione's attention. It was the fleeting look that had crossed Professor Snape's face at her words of defense. She could almost label it pleased astonishment. Hermione felt the old anger stir. No one should be astonished at having someone come to their defense. In an effort to keep her composure, Hermione held tight to that flare of anger as she continued. Professor Snape didn't do anything. Ron was excited about being named head boy. He thought I was head girl. When I told them I didn't get the position, Harry assumed that it was because Professor Snape kept me from getting the position to get back at Harry. Hermione might have laughed at the dismayed and somewhat stricken expression that crossed McGonagall's face, except that the look told her that Professor Snape had not lied to Harry about voting against her. Still, she was determined to handle her disappointment with dignity. She continued as if she hadn't seen Professor McGonagall's reaction. I do not believe that Professor Snape would use his authority in such a manner. If he voted against me, then I'm sure that he had valid and logical reasons. I told you, Minerva, Prof Professor Snape said, his voice holding a certain amount of smugness. Minerva whirled back around and fixed an accusing glare on Snape. Very well, Severus, you were indeed correct. The older witch seemed to deflate, her shoulders and spine losing their rigid cast. The look she gave Professor Snape was now more exasperated than angry. Please see to Miss Granger, Severus, if you would, and I will go find Harry. Hermione was startled to actually see Professor Snape roll his eyes. Oh, yes. Go find Precious Potter before he does something rash. It would be so unlike the boy, after all. It seemed that even Professor McGonagall didn't know how to offer a retort to that, and with only a muffled harumph, she headed out of the room. This left Hermione staring across the room at her professor. She said the first thing that came to mind. What did you tell Professor McGonagall? Surprisingly, he answered her while watching her reaction. I told her that you would neither cry nor wail in not getting the head girl badge. I told her that you would look for the reasons behind the actions. Hermione didn't quite know how to take his approving tone, so she took refuge in her next question. Did you really vote against me? Again, he answered the question. Yes, I did, although you being Potter's friend had nothing to do with it. Struggling hard to keep the hurt out of her voice, she asked, Then why? Professor Snape motioned for her to sit back down. When she'd done so, he considered her a moment, over steepled fingers. She knew his mannerisms well enough by now to know that whatever he was about to say or do had been carefully thought out, and even now he was weighing his words with care. You have told me that you wish to learn to think. You tell me why. She faltered then, and he could see her confusion. Taking a modicum of pity on her, he began for her. How are the head boy and girl chosen? Hogwarts of history proved its worth once again. Names are nominated by the teachers, and a vote is cast among the househeads. 
The headmaster has the deciding vote in case of a tie. And on what criteria are nominations made? Academics, leadership, personality, and... She paused a moment to think. Integrity, she said at last. Professor Snape gave her a nod of satisfaction. Now, he said, tell me why I would have voted against you. Thankfully, he could see that she was taking his words seriously. In this instant, he did not mean to be cruel. But thinking critically meant seeing oneself without the lens of ego. I am the highest academically ranked student in my year. He was pleased that she said this with a quiet assurance and not boastful pride. It was another sign of her maturity, and then he wasn't wasting his time on her. When he made no comment, she continued. But I'm not exactly popular. He made a noise of contempt. Popularity is not a part of the criteria. She worried at her bottom lip as she thought. But approachability is. It's part of the personality aspect. Harry and Ron are my only close friends. I mean, I'm friendly with others in my year, but not all that close. She hesitated, and then continued. I think I intimidate many of my classmates. He snorted at that statement. Those you do not intimidate, you scare. At her startled expression, he elaborated. Not deliberately, I'm sure. But scare them you do. You have little patience for those less gifted or determined than yourself. This lack of patience comes across as both rudeness and bossiness. He caught her staring at him and scowled at her. He needed no legitimacy to know her thoughts. Yes, Miss Granger, an affliction I also share. However, we are not talking about my shortcomings. The question is, can you see a homesick, Hufflepuff first year coming to you for comfort? Better yet, can you see a Slytherin coming to you for any reason? No, sir. Good. Honesty with oneself is a hard thing to learn. Now, turn the problem around. Look at it from a different perspective. Why did we choose Miss Abbott and Mr. Weasley? Hermione thought for a moment before she began her answer, trying to see Hannah and Ron from a professor's perspective. Hannah is a Hufflepuff. Anyone needing a shoulder will feel comfortable going to her. Her grades are solid, not spectacular, but good. She's outgoing, friendly, and has a lot of friends across the houses. Snape flicked his fingers dismissively. Look beyond the obvious, girl. Why is she a good choice considering the times we live in? Then Hermione understood, and felt somewhat saddened that the war against Voldemort was influencing even the choice of head boy and head girl. Hannah's not pure blood, but she's from a respected, long-standing wizarding family. Death Eaters killed her mother this past year. Hermione paused then, unsure if she should continue, but Professor Snape seemed unaffected by her words. Had he been there that night Hannah's mother was killed? I'll probably never know. I'm not sure I want to know. Her gaze locked with her professors. Hermione continued. Hannah's a symbol that no one is safe, that it isn't just muggles or muggleborns. And what of Mr. Weasley? 
Hermione dropped her gaze back down to her lap and thought about Ron for a moment before looking back up. Ron's grades aren't, aren't all that great, but he's your average student. Everyone in the school knows him because of Quidditch and being Harry's friend. She gave her, her professor a half-smile. Ron is fun-loving. He's a pureblood. So even though he's friends with me and Harry, the Slytherins and other purebloods would feel comfortable going to him. Yet at the same time, he does not believe in the pureblood stance. He is a living example of another choice. She fell silent, thinking about Ron and Hannah. They were good choices, but she could still feel the sting of her own disappointment. Later, she would have to try to explain things to Ron and Harry. The memory of Harry standing with wand drawn flickered before her. Even in defending this man before her, she wasn't about to stop her defense of her friends. They think you were unarmed earlier. You weren't. I saw you palm your wand, she accused. One black brow swept up in response to her statement. And yet, Potter didn't know that. He was prepared to curse what he believed to be an unarmed opponent. Struggling to make sense of it all, Hermione defended her friend. Harry wouldn't have done it. Professor Snape's lips twisted into a sneer. Are you so sure of that, Miss Granger? Are you so very sure that he wouldn't try to use the anger so readily available to him? That he wouldn't take the easy way out? Dark magic, Miss Granger, is so tempting because it is so very easy. Anger, pain, revenge, hate, they are all there, right at our fingertips. So easy to call and use, so very hard to turn away from once you've tasted that easy power. Hermione shivered at what she heard in his voice. He was speaking from personal knowledge. Harry will defeat Vold... She started to say Voldemort, but changed it as she saw her professor stiffen. The Dark Lord. He won't become him. Who are you trying to convince? Me or yourself? You push and taunt him. If you don't want him to give in to his anger, why do you go to him? Because no one else will, he snapped. If the boy is to break and shatter the wizarding world with him, I would prefer to know before the fateful hour when Potter stands before the Dark Lord. Hermione stared at him, eyes wide in sudden understanding. You don't believe he can win, she said, her voice rising in disbelief. Professor Snape leaned back in his chair, looking suddenly very tired. As Potter is now, with his mind and emotions in turmoil, no, I do not believe he can win. Hermione wrapped her arms around her middle, suddenly feeling very small. Why are you telling me this? Did you not ask me to teach you? Her eyes rose to meet his, completely shocked at his words. She barely got out as stammered. Yes? Well then, Miss Granger, unlike some... I do not believe that ignorance is bliss. In order for a person to think for him or herself, they must have the ability to deduce and reason. You cannot think, girl, unless you know the facts and what you really face. Hermione was stunned. He was going to teach her. I don't know what to say, she finally stammered. He smirked at her. 
The typical response is thank you.